0: CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly
1: those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoke All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag leadership. Now, today's topic is building a high-trust organization, and our guests for today's show are uh, Dr. Robert Hurley, who's a professor at Fordham University and is the president of Hurley Associates. morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Oh, I could not be better. It is just a day before uh, the long weekend, so you know, you get started for your barbecue. So, uh, <laughs> well, let's warm things up, shall we? Uh, yep. And uh and then we also have uh Dr. Frank Siriani, who is the Vice President and CIO at Fordham University. How are you, Frank? I'm
2: great. Good morning. How are you today?
1: I could not be better. As I mentioned, we are all charged up, have a long weekend, relaxing, and there's a lot of fun stuff coming ahead. So uh, things are going okay? The work life and uh, uh, how how the business is treating you? Oh,
2: yes. The Fordham's had a very good run over the last 10 years, and, and we're enjoying the fruits of that success.
1: Great. Now, any leader in any industry might feel as though they have a great workforce culture or environment and that their internal trust is just fine. But it seems it's too hard to know if everyone really is trusting of one another and if everyone is performing to the level they could be. So when we say, and this is a question for you, Robert, when we say organizational trust, are we talking about just the internal workplace culture or is it the perception consumers have of your company and whether or not you can be trusted? That's a topic for another day, perhaps, but when we talk about here in, in in a company or when we are saying we want to build a high trust organization, it seems like at least it is um, within the organization and maybe with your value chain partners.
3: I think that's a good perspective uh, you know and I, I I'm glad that you mentioned up front because quite frankly, if you have trust within inside your company, but it doesn't translate to external stakeholder trust it's not very effective right uh, so i actually talk about a chain of trust that really starts inside the organization but then extends back to suppliers and forward to to clients to investors to communities and that in the middle of that is this thing we call organization right and that the chain of trust is only as strong as its weakest link and that particularly is true inside the organization so so high trust organizations are critical to performance and um and, you know, I, do, I define trust as a judgment of confident reliance in a person, group, or organization. And it's it's based on positive expectations of future behavior. Uh, and in any organization where you have dependence or interdependence, trust is essential for effectiveness. It's essential for cooperation. And so employees need to trust each other. Employees need to trust leaders. Departments need to trust each other if that value creation process is really going to be effective.
1: Now, um, Frank, do you think we can have a, a litmus test that we can perform at any given time and get a very good, accurate reading on what the trust level is? Or you basically wait for a breach of trust for you to suddenly wake up and make do the damage control?
2: No, no I think it would, it's certainly in an IT organization, uh, it would just in terms of the internal dynamics, uh, trust is critical. People perceive IT... In terms of specific set of services, uh, you know, portfolio of services. But in order for those services to be there, you have to coordinate uh, people from very different disciplines and orientations, and that requires trust. And I think very quickly, I can see there there are certain indicators. I think for me, for example, too many email communications versus you know, quick uh, one on ones. CCs, when I start getting dragged down into a project or an issue, I think people are now, uh, you know, doubting their friends, their colleagues, and looking for help. So, Or a lack of common information and shared understanding about where you're going or direction or vision. So I feel um, in those, I think, come from a lack of communications, and I will probably talk about communications a lot here. Uh so no I I think that there are indicators uh and 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 you know you have to uh this idea of delegating or trusting your your subordinates to get to to not just execute but to trust their subordinates to make the appropriate decisions at their the, their levels. So you yeah, know no I I think they're for me they're a test uh, and my nose goes up right away when I I smell something.
3: I would echo that. Uh you know and most most uh, companies actually in their annual climate or culture survey have a few items that measure trust so the, that's an indicator we at the uh, consortium for trustworthy organizations at Fordham university have developed an instrument to actually measure organizational trustworthiness uh takes about 15 minutes to complete and it it sort of gives you a pretty robust diagnostic of of the level of trust and more importantly the areas you can work on but one of the one of the i would echo what frank said one of the first things you look for engaging trust is the level of open communication when when there's distrust there's an impoverishment of communication and instead of open transparent communication people sort of go off the grid so to speak and and engage and communicate within their trusted coalitions and so what happens in the low-trust scenario is there's really an sort of communication a- across the organization, that, that just, there's intense communication within trusted coalitions, but not across them. The other thing you see in low-trust organizations is what I call marginality, where people really don't care about the enterprise. They act to protect their own interests, but they don't act to protect the enterprise because they, there's no sense of identity or bond that connects people um so you see disengaged employees in low trust environments. so if you're looking for trust look for lots of communication lots of engagement of employees
1: so uh... basically robert you just mentioned about lack of trust and they don't care about the organization they just care about themselves what has caused something like this? Because frankly, we can always scratching our heads that where is where are where am I going wrong or where are we going wrong as management? And this could be happening. It might be simmering, and then suddenly it goes beyond that threshold. And when you start noticing those obvious signs of lack of trust, so uh, you know
3: we uh, in 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 my book, the decision to trust, I talk about you know uh,
1: sort of how you build
3: trust and and. Um, um, and it starts with really having a common purpose, so all high trust organizations are really kind of values driven there's they, a superordinate goal, a common set of goals, and that gets embedded throughout the enterprise, and that forms that, that's that set of goals and strategies plus this idea of values and identity right we 're part of Fordham, and we have some sense of pride we 're part of Google and we have some sense of pride so it's a, it's a social capital thing of having a pride in the identity. And it's a strategy thing in in having common goals, uh, and so it starts there. And then leaders are critical. I mean, you cannot have a high trust organization unless you have leaders that understand trust and are embedding trust and trustworthiness deeply and pervasively in the organizational system. Um, and and there are ways to do that. We understand what trust is. Uh, We understand what trustworthiness is, and because we understand what those things are, we can systematically embed it into a company, and the, the folks that do that are leaders.
1: No, definitely with with most organizations today, with the the workers who are working there, have a level of maturity, I'm assuming, that they would not show very explicit signs of lack of trust. They would be somewhere in between. So sometimes they will look like that they are totally in love with the organization, do the best they want to do. But then when uh, there are situations where their own uh, uh, reputation is at stake, they suddenly change from d- demonstrating that still no matter what is going to happen to me, let the enterprise be the first one that we should defend and or take care of, they suddenly get down to that personal level. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. And then and then what you see is you see lots of turnover. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, when the job
3: okay. market gets better, you see people exiting. And, and quite frankly, the people that exit first are the best people. Uh, so this is why, you know, high-trust organizations – have much lower turnover than their, their competitors. Um, so, and that's a tremendous advantage, uh, when, you know, in, a, in a, when the economy is growing and there's a very good job market because they retain the best people and they attract the best people.
2: And what I, do I, we... want to, I want to echo that, because That's exactly what was on my mind. And turnover is costly both in terms of financial resources and productivity. And it's it's one of the first signs, uh, one of the first casualties, and that just leads to, in an IT organization, you know, some of the functions are commodities, but the ones that you're retaining, the ones that you're employing actually in the enterprise, those are usually uh, critical and, and and provide intellectual capital
1: that you need. No, yeah, Frank, in just, fact, just, yeah, go so, ahead, Robert. Um
3: you know, think about how the world of IT has changed. Just take Fordham as an example. I've been at Fordham 20 years. 20 years ago, quite frankly, I wasn't that interdependent with the IT department at Fordham.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um today, um, I cannot teach my classes if Frank and his group don't do their job well. Because I have tremendous amount of contact over the internet and Blackboard, etc. So, so technology has become a, uh, a, a a backbone of education for me. And so now that puts, the professor, I teach management, and the IT department as interdependent partners. And so, you know, trust is really an issue when there's interdependence and vulnerability and risk and uncertainty, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, on Monday when I go to class, if Blackboard isn't working, I've got a big problem, Mm -hmm. right? So I've got to trust Frank and his ability and benevolence and integrity and all the elements of trustworthiness, right? The alignment of interest that he understands that, that he affects me in a big way, that he cares about that, that his employees care about that, that they're competent, that they're gonna, that when they say they're gonna do something, they do it. If all those things happen well, I develop this sense of positive expectations about the IT department and Frank. And that, that's what we mean by trust. Now, think about that. How do you build those elements of trustworthiness in an organization when you've got, you know, 15 priorities and And time factors, and budget issues, and change, and uncertainty. So, leading in a trustworthy manner to 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 create trust is is more challenging today than it's ever been for IT and lots of departments. And the other thing about IT is IT often gets involved in when there's mergers, standardizing systems. So you've got people really saying, "Okay, do I have my job? Do I not have my job? Is company A that we acquired or company B going to whose systems are going to prevail?" You know, the IT operates in some very sort of risky situations with big budgets and big impact. So they are in the trust business.
2: Absolutely. So- and if I could could just reflect on some things that Bob said. Again, communications becomes very important in establishing that relationship. And because things things go wrong. It's IT. There's no one one hundred percent uptime. Now when there's a problem, I need Bob to trust that we're on it, we're bringing our best people to bear, and we're going to fix it as quickly as possible, because he knows that we understand it's critical to the basic business of the university. One of the main basic streams is teaching and learning, the other is research. And follow-through, which I think in a way you alluded to, that you actually do what you say you're going to do. The, the, those are critical.
1: So, so Frank... Yeah. One question I have for you, Frank, uh, the the way you look at trust, if it's if you were to compare this to a mirror, once it is cracked, you cannot take it back to the original shape. So do you think we should take this as a, a sign that once maybe there were some damages done in the past, which brought, broke the trust in an organization or maybe for in, per, in, a, in an individual's uh, heart and mind that this cannot be trusted or my co-workers cannot be trusted. Do you think it is worthwhile doing damage control and try to salvage that situation, or is it better that the person seeks other opportunities to make a fresh start and you also as an organization make a fresh start?
2: Well, I think first you want to attempt to solve, to to fix the situation. You You know, introduce people to some processes where they can understand what's going wrong and how they can improve. But sometimes that doesn't work and they need to seek their success elsewhere. But I believe there are a lot of things you can do uh, uh, to how uh, people remediate these. You know, we, we're an institutional employer, and it's not just universities. There are lots of institutional employers, you know, the, the, not, the mutual companies, uh, insurance companies in general, and so on. So uh, the culture is such that people have a long memory, and something that happens, you know, at another time is relevant. You have to break that. You have to introduce opportunities for people, that I don't mean exercises, to work together, on real projects where they can see each other's competencies and move forward. If they can't do it, then yes, they need to to find other opportunities. My responsibility is there are times when I have to intervene. And my role at Fordham is very much a corporate CIO. I mean, I have a big organization, a diverse set of services, and I'm an officer of of the corporation. But there are times I'll just start going to directors meetings. In all the verticals we have division line meetings going back to the shared vision understanding what we're trying to do we, we have a set of strategies that are linked directly to the university strategies everybody down to coders need to understand what what they're working on why it's important to the university if they can't make it then yes we're not averse to asking them to move along
1: So uh, let's take a quick break, listeners, and when we come back, uh, let's look at what is it that we have to do in order to bring all people that we have at the same level of trust because you could have some people who are less trusting by design other people are like healthy skeptics then there are people who are just simply they 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 totally don't see anything in a in a manner where it would be trusted so do you think you can have a broad stroke approach to building trust or you have to take each individual each individual uh, to the side and kind of mentor them and bring them to a common benchmark which will create an organization wide a common level of trust Please stay tuned, we'll be right back.
5: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google, lead the charge portal.
0: HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All.
1: Welcome back. So, uh, Robert, the question here is that... As a DNA of an individual, most people, or in fact, each individual has different level of, um, you know, propensity to be trusting. I mean, you, you'll you'll see a lot of people telling each other, okay, this person is more trusting versus this person is healthy skeptic versus this person is totally right. going to do all the due diligence required as if the other person is an enemy. So, when it comes to that level of DNA and there's going to be definitely a mix in an organization, what type of an approach would actually bring a common denominator which is just about enough trust for an organization to function properly
3: so uh, in in uh, in two thousand and six, I wrote a Harvard Business Review article that talked about this, and then it's part of my book also uh, Both of those uh, writings are called the decision to trust one 's an article one's a book but i in the in those are uh publications I have a ten-factor model that, that determines when people decide to trust or when they decide to distrust. The first three factors get at what you're talking about, which is the disposition to trust. Uh, we vary as human beings in our disposition to trust, our, our ability to be, to, uh, to uh, offer trust to others. Some of us trust blindly, some of us never trust. Um, by the way, this also varies by cultures. If you look at uh, across the world, there's some cultures that where about 20% of people say that most people can be trusted. If you look at the Nordic countries, it's about 75% of the people who say most people can be trusted. So there's this individual differences, and then there's cultural differences. Um, uh, there are three factors I look at that to judge the disposition of trust. You could look at more, but three pretty much capture it. One is adjustment or neuroticism. People who, by their nature, are worriers and are sort of low in adjustment tend to have more trouble with trust. Another is risk tolerance. People who have a low tolerance for risk tend to have issues with trust. And then the third is, is power. Powerful people tend to be, by nature, more trusting, and low-power people, uh, by nature, tend to be um, less trusting. But your question gets at, well, given those differences, what do you do? And that's where the rest of the model comes in. Um, first of all, you have to understand that not everybody who works for you is going gonna, is gonna to be on the same schedule with respect to trust. You may have to invest lots of time in communication and other things to build trust with the low disposition of trust employee. You may have other people on your team who trust all of them automatically. So you, you should be somewhat individualistic in terms of how much time you spend, how much the relationship development time you spend but all people uh, will benefit from building trustworthiness into the relationship and i identify six things that you can do to build um trustworthiness into a relationship that can even make low disposition to trust people decide to trust and the first is benevolence uh do you care about people do you demonstrate that you care about people in in what you do as a leader uh, alignment of interest do you create alignment of interest or you you uh, pit people against each other right when our interests are aligned we tend to trust uh by the way you can you can use this uh, use a mnemonic to remember these it's called basics basic with two c's b benevolence a alignment F is similarities do we have any kind of identity uh, commonalities do we feel like we're part of the same tribe in any sense if we do we're more apt to trust uh i integrity and predictability uh, if you if you do what you say you're going to do consistently, you become more predictable, and you make even low disposition to trust people more likely to trust you. Uh, C is competence. You have to be competent. You have to demonstrate your competence. It's uh, people don't decide to trust people they think are incompetent and can't deliver on their commitments. And then the last piece is communication, which we've talked about a lot. Are um, oh, you an open, transparent communicator? So. So if you have low disposition people working for you and you want to build trust, you need to embed many of these six elements of trustworthiness into your leadership and deeply into your organization if there's going to be trust.
1: And while this is a great, uh, uh, basically a framework that you uh, offered, Robert, Frank, do you think if you were to adopt this in your organization, and I'm sure you would have different levels of trust existing... What challenges that you foresee as part of implementing and also as part of gauging what is the outcome?
2: Well, first of all, I think it's a very good model, and while I haven't formally adopted it, I think it hits on, I think, the the complementary nature of leadership and management. And in my mind, leadership being the capacity to create that shared vision and understanding Commonality, all of those variables that Bob talked about, but management means touching each person. In my mind, you know where they live and, th- and where you address the their the variability of their personalities, temperaments, needs, what motivates them. And um, you know you have a uh, when your organization is complex and Fordham is complex. It's complex behind beyond its uh, sort of $600 dollars in revenue and and, and scale you know because we have 11 lines of business we have multiple locations we have various levels of international engagement so now you have employees and staff um you know engaged in in supporting a variety a variety of initiatives and tying that back to the common shared vision at different levels can be a challenge but i i think again it, it's it's the management part where you're reaching each individual or each group Uh, at their core needs and competencies. The other piece is the follow-through, and I think part of uh, uh, trusting the leader as the C-level person is being very transparent about, open about what my role is. And I do spend time uh, talking uh, to people. We have a performance management system that we put in place in IT at at Fordham, which is very specific to our organization in which everybody has – Specific goals and professional development goals, but additionally, I've introduced this Fordham IT Laureate program for high high potential people, which they re- respond to a few essays. One of the things they get is an hour a month with me, and one of the things invariably they want to know is, what do you do? You know, I'm not sitting in my office 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. They don't really understand what my responsibilities are and how they connect to enabling them to be successful and to meet the goals of the organization. So I guess that's communications, it's transparency. Um, it's also benevolence, right? Yep. You're, when you do that, when you spend
3: time with these people, you are demonstrating that you care about them. Right? Absolutely. It's really interesting, the number one variable... Of trust and leadership is this idea of benevolence and approachability, and you know, does my leader care about me? And and you do that by making time for these people and getting to know them uh, um, in some fashion, uh, developing a bit of a relationship. Now that gets more challenging as you as the number of employees becomes larger and larger, and as your span of control increases.
1: Now, interestingly, you say that, uh, uh, basically, uh, Robert, because there is another old school of thought, which we do not know if it still stays, is familiarity breeds contempt. And that was the old style of management. So how how long, how far have we come in terms of the new style of leadership is that I'm going to embrace uh, every, every person who I work with and it is going to really turn around and make them do things which is good for the organization and of course follow the lead. Now, there was that methodology or that mindset and now we are talking totally 180 degree opposite. Do you think that switch has resulted in significantly more, uh, results that you want to get from your, uh, people who are working with you?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that there was ever a school of management that said, Phil Familiarity Brings Contempt, but I think that was probably more talking about marital relationships.
2: That's uh, uh, one of my mother's um, favorite. Uh, but,
3: um, uh, there's no question that if you look at the most successful high-trust organizations, uh, Google, Zappos, um, Southwest Airlines, um, uh Microsoft, they all have common elements, which is that they are investing in people. They are getting employees who uh, are in, uh, or engaged, who care about the enterprise, um, where there's some sort of um, uh, sense of identity. I won't go so far as to say loyalty, but I will say that there's a common sense of identity that we take pride in being part of this organization. And that comes from a a sort of, a uh, a a good relationship between the employer and the employee um so that is familiarity that is basically relating that is basically saying we care about you right so google uh is now teaching their employees about emotional intelligence right mm-hmm. uh, they they're developing their people they're 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 investing in innovation with their people uh it's a symbiotic relationship that can be characterized by trust versus a dysfunctional relationship that is characterized by distrust.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, uh, we talk about, uh, and this will be a question for you, Frank, in terms of uh, a trusting leader, if you want to be seen as a trusting leader, you're expected to be a person uh, with integrity and someone who makes commitment and always follow through, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there are times when you could have conflicting requirements that on one hand, management wants to do certain things and you've made a commitment to your crew or your extended organization or place people who you even influence differently. And that's not very uncommon, especially at the speed at which business and technology and and the needs of IT to help business changes. So what does a leader do where they have to meet the business demands and there have been somewhat, say, different commitments and, and expectations set for the rest of them? Now their own, uh, not exactly integrity, but what they're committed to is at stake, and that could also suddenly pull, pull their uh, leadership level or how the rest of the world sees them and how they follow that individual leader uh, back a couple of uh, steps. So how do we prevent from this damage Uh, And and how do you prevent this damage from happening in the the events such as where you have a tug-of-war going on between your crew and on the management on the other side? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud.
5: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google lead the charge portal.
0: You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All, to learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog Alls.
1: So uh, welcome back. Frank, uh, as we discussed, like to see how you expect or, or suggest other leaders handle where you have uh, conflicting requirements. Initially, you might have set certain different expectations, and now management wants you to go a different route, and your own leadership and credibility is at stake.
2: Thank you. That's a great question. You know, one of the things I do is publish uh, the action minutes of my executive team meetings to the entire division, so everyone knows... You know, with decisions that were made, and and it's of course there are there are occasions when there are confidential corporate items, but those are are few and far between. However, those are the ones that may lead to exactly the situation where there's a change in direction, a change in commitments, and now you have to manage that process. It's a big challenge, Um, and again, I I take to the field. I mean, I do on a I wouldn't say regular, but a systematic. Basis visit department meetings in my organization, and I expect to hear people, and they're pretty frank and forward, asking questions uh, specifically about things they've read uh, that we decisions that I made and these changes in direction, and and to the best that I can, I I tell them what what decisions were made at a board level or the CEO and and why and i i hope that i'm building on a trusting relationship and they're going to believe that this is something that we have to respond to you know i don't want them to make me into a god that i'm and some people do they think that i control the entire university you know i get yeah. questions about things that don't work that i have i'm just as, you know subject to those processes as anyone else uh, uh, so I've had trouble managing that because we have created, we have led a lot of uh, or, uh, process improvements and changes, but there's still management decisions. So, uh, sorry for the sidebar, but there is a sort of over expectation that Frank Siriani can cure everything, and that's within IT and without IT, without the without the IT external to the IT organization of Fordham. I and, think
3: on, uh,
4: on that,
2: if you, I said before that
3: trust is about a judgment of confident reliance based on positive expectations. So leaders have to manage expectations, right? Otherwise, otherwise people are going to feel betrayed, right? So part of the leader, what the leader has to do is is frame and set the expectations that are reasonable. If people walk around with unreasonable expectations, they're going to be constantly disappointed and feel betrayed. Right. So the leader has to manage those expectations. And so what Frank talked about earlier was great, which is to say, look, let me open up a window into my world and what I can control and what I can't control, and let me share that with you. So when we change direction, don't be frustrated. See it as part of our need to be agile um, and, and understand the process of that change. But don't expect that because we said we wanted to do A, that we're not occasionally going to have to do B for lots of other reasons. I mean, this is one of the issues, reasons why trust is such an issue in companies these days, is there's so much going on that sometimes you say A, but you end up doing B, and if you don't explain the why behind that, Mm -hmm. you're going to have people feeling distrust.
1: So if if what you just mentioned, um, Robert, if if that is what is going to be always the case, but there are still people where you you okay. So like for for example, Frank laid it out for the rest of the world. But how do you gauge if that has truly suddenly changed whatever uh, the the damage that could have been done? So so. Do you think it's his just duty to spread the word and, and pray to God that everything is going to be okay? Or is there any follow-through to make sure and some kind of checks to make sure that whatever change in direction has not caused disruption in the, at the in the trust level within the organization so that he can take some subsequent steps?
3: Well, you're asking the really tough questions here, aren't you? Um, <clears throat> I get paid for
1: that, right? So Yeah,
3: right. So, so just take as an example. Let's suppose uh, there's a change and the CIO communicates that change to all the employees. And let's suppose there are some people who just, for whatever reason, don't accept that, and they still think it's, it, was a, it was a trust violation, it was a betrayal. Um, you, you cannot allow that to fester, right? And so it, that becomes really more of a group culture issue, which is that if we can't communicate to each other transparently why things change and accept that, as part of the, our, our, our tribe, as part of our IT community, uh, um, then we have a problem, and that may mean that you have some of the people with the wrong people. You know, Jim Collins' book uh, "Good to Great" talks mm-hmm. about getting the right people on the bus, right? Uh, what part of the, what you have to do as a leader is get the right people on the bus, and, and in, the, in the world of IT, that means you can't have too many people interpreting changes as as unreasonable trust violations, when in fact you've gone through the steps to explain the why behind it, right? Uh, th- you can, those, those folks that are going to forever be disgruntled, that's a problem. And so that's when you sit down with them and try and, you know, take it to another level and say, look, we've tried to explain the why behind this, the need for change and the need to be agile and not see this as some existential threat. Uh, if we can't accept that, then maybe there's another place in the organization where you should be where those issues don't occur, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you put them in a place where there's very little change or where they can't have control. I mean, you know, this doesn't make these people bad. It just means that they are—they have trust issues. And, and part of what good leaders do is they find the right seat on the bus for different kinds of people. And so but what you can't do you can't allow a minority of disgruntled people to poison the culture in your in the IT department. Cause that so why would you on. live
1: with? So Robert, you you mentioned this is important, but why would you then want to continue to cradle folks who would poison the environment? Is that is that a good idea sure. that you keep finding a different seat on the bus?
2: Well, can I, can I, I think if part of a, a good performance management system, you know, is accountability, and for accountability to work, people have to have the appropriate assignment. And maybe there isn't a seat on the bus, but there are a lot of seats in IT. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally uh, support uh, Bob's argument there, and that's kind of what we've done. We did a lot of reshuffling, and uh, when I came to uh, Fornum, there was need for a lot of change. And in part of, again, introducing this culture of accountability and performance management was making sure people had assignments that they could be successful in. And then, and then some people, yes, have to leave. We, we said that earlier. But By the way, you know, think
3: about this for a second. When, when Frank comes in there and makes these changes, what a, what a high-trust leader does is um, explains the rationale for change so that the people don't think that Frank's changing because he woke up on Monday and felt was in a certain mood, right? There's, there's, there's an overall motive and intention that is the right thing for the enterprise, right? And all the changes are framed based on that superordinate goal, that, that idea that, look, it's not, it's not what I personally necessarily want, but this is our vision, this is what's right for the enterprise, and so this is what's going to drive our change.
1: So with that said, uh, if we were to go and build a transparent organization, and this is for you, Frank, and where the workers and leaders are, have defined roles, as you mentioned, you did as part of the performance management, do you think organizations, given the state of flux we are always in, we say we want business agility, we want IT agility, we want business and IT to get the next best thing out there and work on it? It's like a moving target. So, do you think your role that you've assigned to a person, which is becoming the basis of you building trust and other, you know, form of benchmarking that whether they will be good at that job or not, even that fundamental variable is shifting. So, yeah. So, so if you if you are saying that I'm going to create the role, what is the frequency uh, in which you will revisit these roles and definitions and expectations so that Uh, you are able to maintain that level of trust and or productivity that you were thinking of and your bus is not always uh, going to be wobbly.
2: Well, formally, minimally, every six months. And not only are we working in IT, which is completely a moving target, but our industry, higher education, is under significant social forces for change also, which creates both a set of challenges and opportunities to, to the IT of folks so no, you 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 review it frequently and also we're we're starting to look at um you know job rotations shadowing we provide you know petty bonuses you know good assignments other rewards uh and lots of professional development and i mentioned this laureate program which which uh has um within our i t organ actually it's gotten some outside management. Notice, it's, it's it's quite good, but it's 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 something that people strive towards. So, you look for a reward system. It's not all financial because we all know that's not just that's people are motivated by a lot more than that. But I, it's something that we're struggling with because we again we're an institution. Institution by definition means you know normative ways of doing things that don't change much. However, it hasn't changed much in a couple of hundred years uh but we we can't sit on that because both IT and both higher education are are in flux right now so it's it's continuous review you know i'm headed into an executive retreat with just my direct reports and all of these issues are on the agenda so oh,
1: wait,
2: uh, uh just to add something um the the the
3: question uh sort of frames it as um it's top management doing uh, the uh, creating agility. I think actually in high trust organizations mm. it's all, it's probably more bottom-up.
2: Thank you, the I totally agree. we at middle out. We kind of focus on the middle out also. Yes. Yeah, it's the
3: employees themselves that are saying, hey wait a minute, uh, are we agile enough? Right? But, but interestingly that only happens in high trust companies, right? So think about this for a second. If you need speed and agility the worst thing you can possibly introduce into your company vis-a-vis social capital is distrust. <laughs> because distrust is incredibly slow. When you don't trust someone, you start to read tea leaves, you start to figure out what's the real agenda versus right. It takes you it takes you hours, days, maybe weeks to figure out the real agenda before you can actually get anything done when there's distrust. Right? So when you have you? highly engaged employees and there's trust, boy, you've got a great prescription for agility, both bottom up and top down.
1: So would you say that if there is lack of trust or maybe it is not being benchmarked at the highest level of trust within an organization, the responsibility inevitably and rightfully lies with the leader?
3: Yes, but Absolutely. Yes, no question about it. Leaders are – uh, we're, we're actually designing a program for a company right now uh, uh, to build trust within us. And, and I said in the program, programs do not build trust. Leaders do.
1: So uh, with that said, uh, now, Frank, coming back to you, do you think you could have uh, leaders creating trust and then there are some bad apples who would be coming and making changes who you may hire new within the organization, not something that you, suppose you build a new organization or a renewed organization with trust. But then because of your business needs change, you have to have an influx or by the time you've built it to a point where you can feel proud of it, you move on. So do you think our whole organization should be vulnerable to that one individual leader at the top or one bad apple in the mid-management for it to come back to square one?
2: No, you strive for that not to be the case. First of all, on an experiential level, in today's market, most of the people coming in, in my experience, are very are more positive. They have great expectations. They have new skill sets, uh, and this is not just the very young, the so-called millennials. I think just in general. Uh, so I have not had that experience, but the dependence on the leader—that's a real challenge. I've thought about that. I have. I. I. Have a lot. You, you strive to have this. I use the term middle out. You want this, you know, everyone to be influencing this. That's part of my goal with this warrior group, and we're in our second cohort. And I'm sorry for mentioning it again, but um, it's eight people at a time with overlapping cohorts. And the idea is there that we're developing a bunch of soft skills. You mentioned emotional intelligence. There there are many. It's self-directed. And um, the intention is not just for their individual uh uh, uh, development and satisfaction, but for them to influence the work, their work units. So, if you're doing that, you can institutionalize this uh, uh, culture of trust and 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 confidence and shared vision. I think that's so, an important notion. This idea of institutionalization.
3: We've done studies of, of uh, high trust and low trust organizations, and studies of of organizations that have had major trust violations and what we find is that it's not rogue employees or bad apples that create trust violations it's some incongruence or dysfunction that that in the organization that allows these these betrayals to grow right uh, whether you talk about um you know the BP oil spill or libor or any of these issues or, or rogue traders etc it's really trustworthiness has to be embedded in the in the organizational system. It has to be institutionalized in the leadership, in the strategy, in the culture, in the reward system, in the organizational processes. Um, and, and by the way, the IT department is really a backbone of some of those organizational processes that that enables trust or disables trust.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back. Um... Frank, maybe I'd start with you on training the trainer, which is you being at the top, you definitely are putting your focus on building a high trust organization. But then you got your lieutenants and people below them and you cannot be actually mentoring every person uh, in your organization and or the ones who you influence. So how do you become the Pied Piper where you at least have these other second or third level leaders who you have developed to actually be replicating the methodology, the mindset, the leadership that you would like to see demonstrated within the organization so that trust doesn't become uh, subject to your individual contribution towards it. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
5: The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google lead the charge portal.
0: If you have a question or comment, call toll free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All.
1: Welcome back. So, Frank, how do you get other people to Emulate you and, or get even better than you in making sure that trust percolates within the organization at the same level, and it is also being watched and and nurtured properly.
2: Okay. Well, the number one, uh, well, not, it's maybe not number one in 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 a, in a sequence, but my direct reports and and. Um, making it very clear to them uh, there's three people who are associate vice presidents my expectations of them uh, have to be clear and that's done individually and together and all three of them should be able to serve as deputies and oversee the entire organization and in our performance management we have core competencies which speak to values and how things get done and to uh, remind everyone of my direct reports that their managers that people are to be evaluated on how they do things, not just what they 've done um, so this one is just using the systems that we put into place
5: and the other is
2: uh, my is my vis- the visiting you know I'm, my time spent i'm not a skip meeting fan, but we do do these a uh, skip level meeting uh more importantly, I like to visit uh, department meetings, and the directors have a an informal meeting where they try to hash things out. Appearance is there. Um, and again, back to formal processes, this teaching of soft skills. Besides the laureate program we've used, I'm not going to make an advertisement for it, but another program that I think is excellent which teaches a lot of the, quote, soft skills, which are essential to communicating, maintaining relationships, getting to yes, all the buzzwords and books that have been alluded to in these conversations. I don't know if it's perfect. I think it's a big challenge. It's similar to the question of uh, it's all hinging on me. I trust my direct reports. I'm not a micromanager, and they know that. I expect them to empower their directors the same way. I, I'm I'm not sure that's happening equally. One of the foci of our executive retreat going forward, this this next month, will be trying to level set that across the organization, taking into account the temperament and personalities of the different executives. So, not not maybe a comprehensive answer, but that's my thoughts on this one.
1: Totally, and Robert, uh, given that you have handled uh, different situations and I'm sure consulted organizations on this, so do you think if there was a playbook on making sure that just the leader at the top is not the Hercules and instead you have uh, other other people within the organization who kind of follow suit and make that whole organization with a bunch of different leaders who are leading from the middle and establishing trust?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. A very hot topic among boards today is uh, what's called tone at the top. Uh, leadership tone. Um, and I think the reality is that tone at the top is important, but it, tone at the top is not what creates a trustworthy organization. It's actually tone at the middle. It's behavior in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that the leaders have to do at the top is they have to make sure that people are down the line, down in the organization. They have to cascade this idea of lead, it's, uh, trustworthy leadership throughout the enterprise right so what what does that mean that means your direct reports have to not all be leading in the same way but there's certain fundamental non-negotiable aspects of leadership uh right so um uh, alignment of interest you know is there a transparent process where people's interests are aligned is there some basic level of benevolence um is there some basic level of integrity and predictability and sort of those things those can be those have to be non-negotiable if you're going to really embed trustworthiness throughout the enterprise and so you have to hold your direct reports accountable for that they have to then hold their direct reports accountable for that uh... or or it doesn't work right there's this sort of chain of trust that really starts at the top and then goes throughout the organization uh... and if you're not managing that chain if you're allowing weak links you're going to have problems and this is not only true with uh... with trust it's also true with innovation and other things right so uh it, you know again it's it's about deeply and pervasively embedding uh trustworthy leadership practices throughout the enterprise
1: so, Frank, do you think, besides the, the fact that the boss told you so, that is, you know, you telling your deputy that, hey, we got to do something which will establish trust within the organization, so are there any incentives or motivation that you would need to provide in terms of any kind of rewards, or this is a given in terms of their job description and the competencies they bring to the table for them to actually, uh, you can say, volunteer to establish trust within the organization?
2: Well, it's not voluntary. I mean, it's, 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 it's a total, it's an expectation. And in each case, uh, there's only one person in my leadership team who is essentially in this, two, excuse me, two who, out of five, who are essentially in pretty close to the position that they were in when I came. The others were created or, or redesigned or I hired. And, and this, you know, I know the team work or is sort of out of, Fashion, but I, 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 it's not out of fashion with me, and I expect them to, to, to again be accountable for each other. Uh, so I, there's no special reward. This is part of, of, uh, part of how they're evaluated. Part of my expectations. Part of the the CEO's expectations. That this is what we're doing here. The I want to go emphasize that the. Again, getting it down to the middle level, that's really the key. Is this where the action is? And and, uh, holding them accountable to pass this along. And and I, I, no, I do not have, there are, we'd like to give nice little rewards, benefits. Some of those are just very soft. The the stroking, uh, we have a thing we do, I shouldn't even say this, I guess, but some people have heard, I've said this before, people talk about. we we we, we, we um, advertise market. I don't know a lot of our services with the phrase blank IT learn IT secure IT, and we also have drink IT. So there oh. is occasionally, and we invite our key business partners episodically, periodically. There's there's a cocktail hour. Uh, it's it's a Dutch treat. A tip I might buy a round, uh, you know, on the university, but it's it's totally a voluntary thing and uh, it's a chance for people to uh get to know each other a little personally and uh, it is speaking a little now to trust over the border with the, with the business partners. But, so, uh, Robert, uh,
1: last question I have for you, 30 seconds only. Would you have any advice for the organizations and their leaders who are trying to establish trust within uh, their, of course, respective uh, realm or the overall organization? And if, if they had to think about three words which would be top, should be top of their mind as they're trying to be the right type of leaders to establish trust, what should those be? 30 seconds.
3: Okay, first, uh if you want to build trust in your organization, measure it, intervene, measure it again, intervene, continuous uh, improvement process. And and you need good measures of trust and trustworthiness. Three words for leadership: uh competence, benevolence, integrity. And, and 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 don't forget about the relationship piece in benevolence. It's important. You have to relate to people if they're going to trust you.
1: On behalf of our show and the listeners, I'd like to really thank you, uh, Robert and Frank, for sharing your thoughts on how to build a high-trust organization.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was enjoyable, and, and uh, I look forward to any feedback. that uh, on the Hopefully it website. helps, and we're glad to be with you.
1: Thank you so much again, and uh, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care, and God bless.
0: Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio.